please oh please it's obvious welcome to the obvious truth the obvious truth is a podcast about conscious and spiritual topics diving deep into the nature of our existing reality and today we have a very special guest his name is billy carson aka forbidden knowledge hey thank you i appreciate it man i'm looking forward to it absolutely so billy carson tell us a little about yourself and what you do well the short answer is i create ripples in the space-time continuum that alter future realities in the third dimension <laughs> and uh but the long version is uh <laughs> i'm a truth seeker i'm a, a author of two books both are now best-selling books um and uh the the main book is compendium of the animal tablets which is been a bestseller now for 19 months. The new book is Woke Doesn't Mean Broke, which is on Amazon and my website as well and doing phenomenal numbers. And then I'm also a TV host on quite a few shows. I've been on over 30 different shows as a host uh, for ancient civilizations, for ancient uh, history, for ancient aliens, uh, also in shows that talk about advanced technology, UFOs, paranormal activity. And of course, I have my own TV network called Forbidden Knowledge TV with the number four. And we have about 2,800 shows up there right now. And the number one show being my Egyptian Mystery School series, which is on episode 32 right now. So quite a bit going on. Okay, that's that's amazing. That's absolutely amazing. And is that on your website? Yes, it is. Yep. Forbiddenknowledge.com with the number four. Forbiddenknowledge.com. You can get to all of my information content all the shows i'm on i'm on the travel channel the discovery channel the history channel the science channel <laughs> i'm on gaia i'm on yeah, gaia that's all right yeah pretty much <laughs> um so i want to ask you because i i haven't seen really i like you know i researched you and i haven't really seen how did you get into spirituality how did you get started how old were you it's really interesting back in 1977 uh we moved from new york to miami florida and so down in Miami, in this area called Opalaka, we live, we live close to an airport called, called the Opalaka Airport. And um, that airport uh, had private planes that would go over. And I would go in the backyard. This is before cable TV, cell phones, and beepers even existed. So you had to go outside back then. <laughs> so I go, go outside in the backyard and just watch the planes go over. Mm. And one day I saw this object come across that wasn't a plane because it cleared the horizon in seconds, not minutes. Wow. And then it didn't have wings, a fuselage, you know, it didn't have a cockpit. And so even as a kid, I knew that it wasn't an airplane. I didn't know the word UFO or flying saucer. It didn't exist in my vocabulary right. uh, at that time. I just knew that what I saw wasn't a plane. Then it came back and it hovered above me. Uh, maybe about 200 meters, I can now estimate. And then it flew out, you know, the wow. way it came in, completely silent. And so the next day I went to my school, Rainbow Park Elementary, I went to my library, and I got all the Encyclopedia Britannicas on aerospace technology. Uh, so I started researching aerospace back then, 1977, starting getting into aerospace, researching, trying to find what I saw, and I never found it. Mm. But that took me down a whole rabbit hole, as you can imagine, because mm -hmm. one rabbit hole leads to another. Uh, and, uh, you know, so that really got me into looking into, uh, you know, potential UFOs. A year later, uh, I was at a, um, a laundromat in Miami, Florida. We would mm. go there on the weekends to wash our clothes, because back then, again, right. neighborhood, you don't have washing machines and dryers in your houses uh, in that neighborhood, especially mm. in the 70s. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, we go there. It's hot. It's really, really hot. So I go outside in the back of the uh, laundry mat and I sit down on the curb and I said to myself, I'm going to take my mind to uh, uh, Alaska and become a, and go into an igloo and become like an Eskimo. And so I sat down and I closed my eyes. Wow. I took a deep breath and I just said to myself, I'm going to send my mind to Alaska. And it became that was my first meditation. I didn't know what a meditation wow. was. I just did it yeah, instinctively. <laughs> And it worked. And I literally, when I came out of this meditation, my skin was actually cold to the touch. I knew I had tapped into Whoa. something amazing. So I continued to do these kind of thought experiments as a child. And I found myself in all kinds of places. It was just really amazing. So what did you do to meditate? I literally just closed my eyes. I took deep breaths. I just tried to calm myself down mm -hmm. and focus on the destination that I want to be at. And then I would actually envision not only that I was at the destination, 
but that I can feel, smell, hear, touch, and taste the surroundings of that destination. And I found out that you can actually bilocate at a very early age. So uh, was this like um, an astral projection? Like it's like an out of body experience? Like you were actually there and you can see like pretty vividly or what was that like? Well, it was more like a remote viewing experience. So you can see very vividly, you can smell, you can taste, you can hear, you can touch, but it was all with the mind. It's very difficult to explain the sensation of how it works, but that all that information comes back to the body. It's almost like you're sending remote information back to the body that the body still decodes as if it's actually there. Um, I didn't, I didn't leave the body. In other words, I didn't take my spirit or my soul out of the body. I sent my mind to the location and it gave my brain the same exact feedback as if I was actually at the location. It's very similar to what you find in remote viewing situations. And this is just something that I stumbled on hmm. just by doing a random thought experiment with myself as a kid. So, wow, that's, that's pretty mind blowing that you discovered that by yourself. Cause now people try to do that and there's so much information about how to do these things and still it's very difficult sometimes to get these experiences so yeah it's pretty mind-blowing um so was that is remote viewing kind of like it's your consciousness it's not like your soul is that like the difference basically yeah exactly it's your consciousness leaving out and see that the mind can transcend space and time you can send your mind into the past into the future or into the present and so what's beautiful about when you do remote viewing is you don't have a risk of not being able to get back. Some of the problems with astral projection, which is why after I did it the first two times, I never really tried it again, to be honest with you. Really? Yeah, it was I felt I felt difficult to get back into the body. And that kind of scared me a little bit. I'm not going to lie. Mm. After the second time, I just decided I probably would never do it again. So I only focus on remote viewing. Really? So I'm really good at remote being where I'm sending my mind out and not sending my spirit outside of the body. Wow. So so you actually projected and then you wanted to wake up and then what happened? You you just kind of stole the air, basically. I kept trying to get back into the body and I just couldn't get the snap. See, when I when you, when you left, when I left the body, I felt this pop both times. It's mm -hmm. like like this pop that you, you get this pop feeling. And then you're actually free and you can actually even turn and look back. Mm. Now, a couple of things is navigating was very difficult and uncomfortable in some cases. And then also trying mm. to get back. It seemed almost as if I was just couldn't navigate myself back. I couldn't push myself, my 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 spirit body back towards myself to get close enough to try to make contact. Right. And on the second one, I actually did. And I was just felt like I was going around and in throughout the body, but I actually couldn't reconnect and be back inside <laughs> the housed body, the housed avatar body. And it took a while and then all of a sudden it just happened. So because of that, I decided I was just <laughs> I was just gonna stick to remote viewing. I, I just never tried it again. Oh really? So you you've done it about like a few times and then you just done <laughs> yeah. i did it twice and that was it. after the second time of it not being able to really just pop back into the body i said forget it i just do remote viewing i'm not gonna i'm not gonna try this again wow okay see what i thought remote viewing was like i thought it wasn't very vivid i thought it was like more of like one of those like psychic things where it's like you might see a symbol or a quick image or like a flash. I, see, I didn't think it was like a full experience. You can get an experience with remote viewing because when you first start and when you first learn it and you're doing the ideograms and you're getting your sensory perception mm -hmm. and you're sensing emotional content from the, the target then it's more uh, just bringing in what the, what the surrounding emotions are. But then eventually, as you get better and better, you bring in smells, taste, touch, you start to bring in detailed information. You start to draw what you're actually seeing and experiencing, and you can get a full-blown outright experience through remote viewing. It's really amazing. Wow. <laughs> that That's pretty amazing. I, honestly, that blew my mind because I've never... I never thought it was like that. <laughs> yeah. Um, what do you what when you remote view? What do you usually like? What do you usually do? Like, what do you usually use it for? Good question. Well, there's two things. One is um, when I do the anomaly hunting on Mars and even other planets and moons in our solar system, 
I formed a group called the United Family of Anomaly Hunters. And we've cataloged over, we've downloaded over 1 million images, first of all, from all the space agencies. And we've cataloged over 58,000 anomalies, things that don't belong on these space probe data images. We meaning this 14 of us that made this group. And when you're analyzing, let's say, an image from Mars, from the Mars Curiosity Rover, Opportunity Rover, Spirit Rover, whatever it is, it can take hours to go through an image you know, one centimeter at a time, looking for anomalies, zooming in, zooming out, expanding mm. it, trying to see if it's just a rock or if it's an illusion or if it's an artifact on the film. And so it takes a long time. So I said to myself, I wonder if I can use the image number as a target, set that as my remote viewing target, and then extract data from the target so that when I go into the actual image, I know exactly where to look for these anomalies. And I started picking out anomalies like this. I was like, wow, this really works. So my main purpose and function of remote viewing is to track down and find anomalies on Mars, which I've now myself personally have well over 3000 anomalies. So you're, you're finding, so um, the anomalies are basically um, like inconsistencies in what we are being shown basically. Yeah, exactly. So I'll find things that look like remnants of uh, ancient civilization, sometimes remnants of things that look more advanced than even what we have here on Earth, but look broken, dilapidated, uh, things that look like they've been um, um, built by hands or by some form of intelligence based on the nine degree angles and the geometry that you see there, uh, structures that appear to be partly buried in mud that are sticking up out of, out of the mud. Just there's so many things there. A lot of our discoveries have made mainstream news, CNN, Fox, ancient aliens TV show and many other uh, places. It's popped up in news, New York Times, New York Post, LA Times. A lot of our anomalies, I mean, they, they were even just putting big question on like, hey, what is this? These researchers discovered this stuff. Is this stuff here or not? What is it? And NASA just has always the same response. You know, maybe it's just a, light, a trick of light and shadows. You know, they don't, they don't really want to get into it, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> there, there is this one. I am one thing particularly stands out for me uh, from ancient aliens was on Mars, they found this, um, it's like almost like the stone or something kind of protruding out. It looks like a keyhole kind of, yeah. you know what yeah. I'm talking about? Oh yeah, I know the one you're talking about, yeah. <clears throat> is that an anomaly or is that there? That's an anomaly, it's there. See, these things are there, they're anomalies because if you look at the surrounding terrain or the surrounding environment where you we find these odd looking objects, it appears from our own perception and from our own intelligence, they don't belong there. And so uh, after going through these anomalies and really taking a look at them, you can only do one thing, compare them to what things that your mind knows as what they might be, you know? Mm -hmm. So we don't say specifically, this is a, a key or this is a, you know, this is a, a vehicle or this, but we're saying it looks kind of like something we would call a vehicle or it looks yeah. kind of like, like something we would call a building or structure. Uh -huh. um, but these things are definitely there. And based on what we know about geology, mm -hmm. a lot of them shouldn't even exist. Wow. That's, that's pretty remarkable. Yeah. So how, how did you, uh, how did you meet these people? Is this like from your like class, like you got some students and they became real good and then you kind of like recruited them? Is that? No, actually. So that's really a weird story how I got into anomaly hunting. <clears throat> I had an experience which took me years to come out with. Uh, it happened back in 2010, but I didn't come out with it until 2016, mm. that I, uh, I was working on this huge project called Fort Terranova, which I completed. It's an underground base that I built. It was on the History Channel about this. This is how I first got on TV. Mm. They did a whole thing about it. And um, the show was called Countdown to Apocalypse, and I was featured on that show. And so <laughs> during this process, I had this visitation from these beings. I don't even know what to call them, just beings. Wow. They, they look like grays, the alien grays that you see on TV, but they they didn't talk to me, they didn't abduct me, they didn't take me away. But something that they were doing was making my brain literally shake in my skull. I, I was trying to scream, nobody could hear me. I couldn't even hear myself. And um, after they left, which, which is just less than a minute, mm. This word, this phrase was birthed into my brain, worldwide telescope, worldwide telescope, wow. over and over and over again. It played back in my brain 
so many times I went to my computer. Back then, Google didn't really have a big popularity like it does now. So I got on Excite.com, which is one I always used. Okay. Older search engine. I Google, Google probably bought them by now. Yeah, <laughs> but, probably. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, I got on Excite.com. I typed in Worldwide Telescope and up popped the first link mm. was WorldwideTelescope.org. And I literally almost fell out of my chair. <laughs> what? I clicked the link. It took me to another website, which is still up today. <laughs> WorldwideTelescope.org. Oh, my God. I want to look this up. Back then, you had to download the software and install it. So I did. Now it has HTML5. You don't have to, You can choice. You have a choice. You can download it or you can run it right from the site itself. Uh-huh. So back then I downloaded, I installed it, and I opened it up. And the first thing it did was show me the sky view, all the constellations, and it gave me access to all the space probe data from every mission ever sent into space. What? Like, this is absolutely incredible. <laughs> Nobody even knows this thing exists. No. So I went in, and the first one that really caught my eye was Mars. So mm. I clicked on Mars, and it, and it showed a couple di different things. And then one of them said panoramas. I said panoramas. I clicked on that. Then it said Opportunity Rover. I clicked on Opportunity Rover. And the next thing you know, I'm zooming and panning in and out. Whoa. Like, oh, my goodness. This is crazy. <laughs> and as soon as I did that, I saw things that didn't look like they belonged there right away, within a few seconds. Wow, really? Like, what is that? What is this? What is that? And so I was like, oh, my God. So I started screenshotting these things and, and putting them on Facebook. And a few other people were telling me, oh, there's a couple other people doing the same thing. I was like, really? So I started finding them and I, we started linking up. And we made a special group on uh, Facebook. We, now we all have separate groups that we all have united as one. And we share our findings back and forth in these groups. That's how I got into it. Publicly anywhere? Yeah, yeah. You can go to um, uh, go on Facebook and uh, you can go to Martian Genesis. Okay. You can go to Mars Discoveries and Solar System Anomalies. Uh, there's so many of these groups that we have now. Um, wow. Yeah, exclusive Mars images. These are all part of my group, and so each one of us we have our groups and we we share the you know share these findings and we have now members, hundreds of thousands of members in these groups that also now have been going out and looking for the same data and bringing it forward and sharing it in these groups as well. We all share it together and we analyze them and say, oh no, this this really may not be an anomaly. This this really looks like an anomaly. So we, 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 you know, we rub the data back and forth off each other to make sure that what we're looking at, we feel is definitely dead or, or uh, should be called an anomaly or some things that should just be called rocks, you know. But so these people aren't remote viewing. You're remote viewing, but these I'm are remote the viewing. Not them. Yeah, I'm the Not only one remote viewing. OK, you're the only one. Yeah. Yeah. What is one of the one is the, one of the craziest things you think you found on Mars? The craziest thing on Mars is this area on what the, is the, it's called the presidential panorama. Uh, and in this area, you have, uh, there's two places actually, that you have what looks like to be two pyramids that are kind of rounded at the top because of maybe of weathering or flooding. But then further in front of those two pyramids, there is a object that looks just like a sphinx. And no matter how far back you zoom out or zoom in, it looks like a sphinx. There's no way to get around what it actually looks like. Mm -hmm. And then on the sides of it, there are these two objects that I label technology. Only reason why is because they look like um, some form of craft or vehicles that are sitting on top of the surface that don't look like rocks for sure. Like they really don't look anything close to being a rock. Mm. And then and closer up towards the actual camera, there's some bits and pieces of broken things that look like broken pieces of technology and equipment and hmm. pieces of structures that are just laying all over the ground right there. That's amazing. And then there's this other place called McMurdo Valley, which was on Gaia, actually on Beyond Belief with uh, a show I did with George Norrie, where it, you can see what looks to be a military compound in McMurdo Valley that's active. It looks active. You can see one look object looks like a plane in the sky banking and there's a matching shadow. I showed a shadow matching on the ground. There's another object that almost looks like some type of a futuristic helicopter. Again, another matching shadow on the ground. And then on the ground, you see what looks like a gun turret and what looks like a tank. What? That's in McMurdo Valley. Yeah, incredible. Is this is this in your group the the Facebook? Did you like illustrate it or? Yeah, they didn't illustrate it. No, these are just images. We just show the images. What we do is we adjust the contrast 
uh, we removed the fake red that the NASA calls it false color. They, they put this false color on all images and they state false color. We just removed the false color so that you can see the true color because Mars is not red. Mars looks just like Arizona. Um, and we let people be able to see exactly what's there. Okay, so you found this on that one site, the Worldwide Telescope, and then you went and remote viewed to see the exact details. That's what you're saying, right? No, no, that was the first time I went in. So after I did that, I found through the group people that you can access all these images via, uh, the, like for example, Mars Curiosity, every so many weeks, they throw up another 100,000 images. Mm -hmm. And so we would manually grab those images and then you would go through them like one centimeter at a time at, with an actual magnifying glass, the old fashioned way, looking for things and then pulling it back into your computer to try to access and cut them out and crop them out. And I said, this takes too many hours. That's when I said, each image is given this, this number, right, on the server. So in remote viewing, we're told, we go after targets. So right. you, we issue a target. So I issue each one of those image identification numbers. I turned that into a target number. And then I went to my remote viewing uh, mode and I then used each one of those image names as an actual target to bring Intel back from the image. Okay, gotcha. Um, is, so uh, what, what, what would you say is one of your um, craziest remote viewing experiences? It was like, I'm sure you, you ventured more than just Mars, right? Yeah. <laughs> or unless it is on Mars. <laughs> well, that, yeah, that, well, that definitely was on Mars. I, I believe that stuff is there for real. Um, to be honest with you, Mars is the most craziest remote viewing experience. And the reason why, in my personal opinion, this is just me speaking. Mm -hmm. What I saw up there were people that were alive and still alive and living there right now. Wow. Uh, these people are not the same height that we are, the people that I saw. They appear to be one third our size in terms of height, but they appear anatomically, anatomically they appear correct. They don't look like dwarfs or munchkins or anything deformed. They appear to be fully anatomically correct in full proportion, just one third our height. Wow. Yeah. Are they blue beings? <laughs> No, no, they look just like us. There's actually mixed races up there. Oh, uh, red skin, like Native Americans, black, just like Africans, uh, Caucasians, uh, and even Asian. Wow. Yeah. Oh do you think they're in physical form or do you think they could be like on another? I think they're physically there in the third dimension. Um, wow. You know, when you read the Enuma Elish and the Seven Tablets of Creation and the Atraasis Epic, both of those ancient Sumerian tablets, cuneiform tablets, which predate and been translated hundreds of years before Zachariah Sitchin was even born, mm. uh, they talk about uh, living on Mars, people living there, people coming from Mars to Earth to go to battle against the kings of Earth, Enki and Enlil. This is why Mars was called the God of War. Uh, and they talk about a war that happened between Mars and Earth. And they talk about the fact that they even came here and took women with them back to Mars. Wow. Which made it into the modern day Bible. Wow. D did you see, so did you see like any of the like housing or stuff like, like where they might like live or like, you know what I mean? There's lots of housing type structures. Some that we could recognize as being Earth level type quality housing. Some, a lot of them, majority of them are entrances to, to what looks like to be underground areas. You can see people from my experience and from the images that I've discovered and others have discovered, mm. you can see where they're coming out of a flat structure and their head is protruding up out of the ground. There's quite a few of those. There's probably several thousand images of people wow. that appear to be coming up out of something that's underneath the ground. Wow, that, that's amazing. I'm actually doing a whole workshop on this on the 31st, which is uh, coming up this month, the 31st from 4 p.m. to uh, 8 p.m., 4 p.m. to 9 p.m., I'm sorry. And we're actually gonna go to Mars. I'm taking everybody to Mars and we're gonna go there live and we're gonna look through the eyes of the Curiosity rover and start panning and looking around and looking for anomalies in real time. We're gonna have everybody involved in that actual experience with me. And that's gonna be on Mar uh, January 31st. Yeah, that's not, that's so cool. I, yeah. I once tried it and uh, I, I, the first time I ever tried remote viewing, I got it like pretty much spot on. But mm -hmm. then after that, it's like, I couldn't, it was 
pretty difficult. <laughs> I heard there's like beginner's luck with this. Well, if you once you do it a couple times, even just one time, the first time you don't have any preconceived ideas or concepts. After that, you what happens is you let your mind come into play too much. Mm. So when you when you're pulling out remote viewing data, it's got to be a literal microsecond after the information is downloaded to you. Anything more than a half a second, if you're recording it, you could be recording false input from your own consciousness. So it's got to be done. You have to recognize what could be, uh, you know, uh, fake input or what's real input. And so it usually the real input is typically within less than a second, less than a half a second, you get the image, you get the information and you have to log that information that quickly. Uh, mm -hmm. Otherwise, what could be coming in after that time frame is what the brain is trying to extrapolate on its own. Okay, I see. Yeah. So you gotta you gotta be in a pretty meditative uh, trance, kind of, right? The first thing I recommend when I, I did a whole remote viewing workshop a couple of weeks ago was phenomenal. And uh, so what I do is I recommend a meditation. So I recommend a fifteen to twenty minute meditation. Uh, where you actually see a bowl in your mind full of all your thoughts. And then you see a hand going into the bowl and removing those thoughts a little bit at a time until the bowl is almost empty. It's almost impossible to get the bowl completely empty. Uh, that's really hard to do, but you can get it almost completely empty. And when you get it to that level, that means you're dropping out of gamma mode frequency in your mind and you're dropping more into a zeta and you're getting your mind ready to be able to receive information be open to receive information. And so now that all that distraction, all that clutter is missing, then we get into the ideogram. And then from the ideogram, we get into sensory perception and we start bringing in intel from the target. Okay. Do you think it's possible to remote view from a lucid dream? You think that's possible? I believe that when you get into lucid dreaming, you can do a lot of stuff, to be honest with you. I think those kind of dreams are really where you can tap into if you can do a, do a controlled lucid dream which is what i play around with from time to time you can really do a lot of stuff you can go virtually almost anywhere you want and you can get real information so you believe you believe it's more than just in our brain right oh absolutely scientists discovered that our brains the actual synapses of the neurons between the neurons phase in and out of the third dimension so this is real documented science. They realize that our thoughts are what the, the aspect of us, the electrical pulses that make up our ability to encapsulate consciousness phase in and out of the existence of the third dimension randomly. Where it goes, multidimensional. So we're multidimensional beings and we're already, you know, our consciousness is outside of space and time. Mm -hmm. And what happens is this avatar body temporarily encapsulates a stream of our of a frequency that comes from the universal consciousness we're all the same exact person we're all the same one but we're just different aspects of that same one i'm 99.1 on the dial you're 99.2 that other person 99.3 so to speak and so that's how we get our individuality but individuality is truly an illusion right yeah and i also found out recently that all the cells that make up our body are they they communicate faster than the speed of light. I just found out. Mm -hmm. Blew my mind. Yeah, yeah. Blew my mind. They're all quantum entangled. Yeah. So all the cells in your body are literally on a energy grid, and information travels instantaneously, uh, bypassing the speed of light. And that's how we. That's why the law of attraction works, right? That's why we're able to manifest, basically. Yeah, we're able to manifest because of uh, quantum entanglement. That's the main, that's the key thing. And what people don't realize is, is when you're on a high frequency and you're, you're, you're in a gamma wave format, which means you're operating in service to others, excitement, joy, uh, you know, happiness, um, un unconditional love. Those are all high frequency gamma waves. They quantum entangle with other high frequency gamma waves. And then the law of attraction automatically brings back to you more of that same high frequency um, stuff whether it's a, a spiritual, whether it's financial, whether it's emotional, whatever it is. But when you get into low frequency waves where you're, uh, you're in pain, you're hurting, you're in sorrow, you're hateful and evil and all these other kind of things, you're doubtful, all those things quantum entangle with low frequency 
information out in space time. And then the law of attraction brings you back more low frequency stuff. This is why when somebody's, when you talk to somebody and every time you see them, they always have a, sad, a sob story about something else went wrong. They are literally staying in that cycle of repeating, of bringing in this negative energy right back to themselves. People don't understand the law of attraction is not only great positive stuff, it works in both ways, positive and negative. Mm -hmm. So, you you know, there's there's some people who have like a lot of anxiety and they, they might happen to focus on too much of the negatives. Do you think that negative thoughts are more powerful or positive thoughts are more powerful or they're just about equal? Do you think, you know, this it's is just about equal. That's the thing. People have to realize how it's so easy. It's You know what? It's really easy to be negative, by the way. Uh, mm -hmm. It's actually very negativity is extremely easy. Right. And the reason why is because to stay positive all the time takes effort. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, both have the same amount of power in space time for, 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 for the law of attraction to operate. But as an individual person, it's very, very easy to be negative and to give in and to complain and to whine and everything else. And it takes a little extra effort to center your brain heart coherence to stay positive, to try to see the positivity in a negative situation, to take the deep breaths and get yourself back in check, to focus on uh, what's right and try to achieve what's right, to try to fix problems as they occur or even before they happen. That takes energy and effort. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, also, I wanted to ask, uh, do you think you'd be able to access the Akashic Records through removing? That's, yeah, I, I, I really believe that's the best way, to my, my opinion. I, I really believe that's the best way. I just did a whole workshop on talking about the Akashic Records, oh. the history of them, how they exist, and why they exist and why they're real. It's not some kind of fancy, fantasy thing that just, you know, is mystical and, and in these mythology books. The Book of Life is real. And that's talked about in the Emerald Tablets, 36,000 years before the Bible even said the term Book of Life. Mm. Uh, and uh, the Akashic Records, Akashic Records, which were recorded uh, in mostly in the, uh, the uh, Indian epics and the Vedas and so forth, uh, they're talking about the same exact thing. Yeah. In science, we find that every thought, every thought that you think, including right now, it creates an electromagnetic wave that actually leaves out of your skull and goes into space time forever mm -hmm. and the proof of this is if i put a cap on your head with sensors on it i can pick up those light waves and send them to a computer and we can analyze your brain <laughs> and so these light waves they radiate out as a form of radiation out into space time with the same data and information piggybacking on them and so sometimes like i tell people you could be saying oh i just got this great idea a lot of the times you probably just um, got on the same frequency as information that existed and downloaded that idea and then you were able to discern it, understand it and act on it and make it a reality. So all information exists from every thought that ever came out of any sentient mind in the entire universe. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's the, there's a lot of like scientific evidence showing that it's a holographic universe. So that yeah. would show us how everything you know, all information is already always existing. Yes, exactly. Always. And it has been here and always will be. It's just a matter of getting on the right frequency to right. access it. So in remote viewing, you can set yourself a target uh, for information. It can be a, a, the target can be anything. And in this particular case, the target could be Akashic information. And then you use the same exact remote viewing techniques that you taught from the very beginning to go and access that information and bring back intel on that target. Mm -hmm. Right. So um, going back to like when you when you started out your whole journey, did, did you ever like practice a religion or, you know, was it religion ever forced upon you? Religion, thankfully. Oh, thankfully. <laughs> never forced on me. <laughs> Yeah. Now we prayed in my household and, and things like that, but we, the religion, there was no, we never went to church. Religion wasn't forced on me. It was always an option. What you want to do It's up to you. Uh, my mother was telling me about advanced beings. She didn't say the word aliens. She oh, was wow. about, yeah. She told me about Machu Picchu, that there were ancient airports in Machu Picchu at the top of mountains mm. in ancient times and that beings came here from space. And she told me that everything that was on this earth already existed. This is all rediscovery. Mm. Uh, so this is why I dedicated my first book to my mom, because I finally got to go to Machu Picchu and I got to 
travel the world and see the things that she was trying to tell me about when I was a young kid. Uh, you know, my mom passed away about 10 years ago, uh, but she told me about this stuff in 1978. So it's been a long time. <laughs> uh, yeah, wow. Yeah. What was your first book? What was that called? Uh, my first book was Compendium of the Emerald Tablets. Oh, that was your first book. Oh, okay. First book, yeah. Oh, wow. That's amazing. <laughs> when did that come out? When did that release? That released in 2017, I believe, volume one, which was a, I did it all myself, no editing, uh, brown cover, light tan cover. And uh, I was at an event wow. speaking, selling my book. And this woman walked up and bought the book. And I said, I handed her the book. And I said, this book is going to be a bestseller. That's what I tell everybody. <laughs> And she came back uh, a few hours later and said, hey, I, I have some critique about this book. If you're open and you don't have a big ego. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, tell me, what do you, what do you think? What, what do you see? And she said, well, I, I own a publishing company. I was like, well, we got to talk. So the next day I met <laughs> with her, <laughs> we sat down. She helped me redesign the cover of the book because the cover wasn't eye-catching. I love she it. Helped right me now. some of the science articles to yeah. make them more understandable for the average person. And uh, we cut the book down to about 238 pages from 444 pages oh. to make it less intimidating. Yeah. And everything she told me to do was spot on, and the book became a bestseller as soon as I re re released it as volume two. Mm. It was a bestseller almost instantly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I also wanted to ask you about the First Class Space Agency. You're the CEO of the First Class Space Agency, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, tech company that I decided to start a few years back. Um, I just had the idea that I want to be involved in private space because private space is the future. It's going to be the next largest industry. Mm -hmm. And uh, I knew that it was coming because I could see the future. And so I decided to hop in and I became a, uh, a licensed space agency in Florida. We don't launch rocket ships. A lot of people don't realize there's probably about close to 2,800 space agencies in the United States. Uh, it's all about providing services like radi radiation hardened computer circuit boards, uh, electronics, um, different types of uh, materials needed for space travel. You know, there may be 10 different materials used in one rocket booster. There may be 100 different pieces that come from different comp co companies used inside of the capsule. You know, all these things take a lot of effort from a lot of different places. Uh, so I decided that I want to provide solutions, potential solutions to things like uh, wireless power, uh, to uh, battery power, extended battery life uh, systems. Um, and I also want to find a way to create a uh, perpetual motion generator that ran off of reverse magnetic fields. <clears throat> so the best way to do that was to start a space company. And I got approved by, for, uh, by the European Space Agency and NASA and the Pentagon as a uh, company that could provide uh, proposals and also bid on proposals as well. Okay, awesome. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah, I saw <clears throat> alternative propulsion systems yeah. and zero yes. energy devices. So that's like how UFOs basically were, right? Absolutely, you know? So instead of your typical rocket booster, <clears throat> excuse me, your typical rockets, uh, you know, one of our, we're theoretically working on ferrofluid vortex engines. And so running engines with liquid metal in torus fields that have reverse magnetic fields with atmospheric pressures over 200,000 and RPMs over 50,000. And then you electrify the field that it creates when it's rotating and you can create anti-gravity. So we're experiencing, uh, experimenting with all these different uh, technologies. Mm -hmm. uh, that's, that's pretty amazing. Um, do you, uh, oh, yeah. I, I wanted to ask you also about the Emerald Tablets because yeah. I was I was confused about this because mm -hmm. so Dr. Uh, Doriel is that mm -hmm. I don't know if that's yeah. how you pronounce it. Right. So he, Doriel. Yeah. So he translated the books, right? Yeah. Uh, Michael Doriel. Yeah. Michael Doriel. He translated the tablets as, as well as uh, Roger Bacon. Mm -hmm. uh, Roger Bacon, Michael Doriel. Also, uh, you know, both of those two guys also did, uh, both translated the Emerald Tablets, plural. There's two versions. One is the Emerald Tablet, uh, Hermes, which is located in the Cambridge Library, which is translation is up there by um, uh, Isaac Newton, Sir Isaac Newton. Okay. And then there's also the Emerald Tablets. Both had written, authored over 100 tablets. Uh -huh. And they all had different titles uh, over many thousands of years. 
So I was confused at how he got it. So did he, I think I heard the story where he went to the pyramid, the pyramids, yeah. right? And he got it from there. Is that how he got it? So there's two stories. One story is that he somehow channeled this information, which is actually not a true story because the actual story comes from the temple of the brotherhood, which is still in existence today. And uh, they, they maintain their same structure that they had from back then. They even, they even have a website, but um, he was, or he was ordained to go down to uh, Mexico and bring back a copy of these tablets. And so uh, near one of the tunnels near the pyramid of the sun, the tablets were located again. And then uh, he also was then approved to make a copy, a translated copy, and then bring them back to the pyramid priest in Egypt. So that's the actual true story that uh, that goes along with that situation, and that's how uh, that's how we have this copy of them. Over many, you know, hundreds of years, uh, even prior to that, these tablets had gone through many translations by many different people: Saint Thomas Aquinas, the Queen of Sheba, and many others. So the existence of them and the knowledge that they existed is well known throughout ancient uh, history. Because mm. uh, I I thought. The, the tablets were in the astrals. Like, I don't know. That, I guess that could have been wrong. I heard that it was only in the astrals that Thoth wrote it. But I guess that's wrong. No, he actually claimed to have written them himself off these tablets himself. He didn't have a scribe do it. He didn't put them in any kind of a okay. virtual domain. According to him, he authored it. Now, when I went to Egypt, I went down a Nile cruise in 2014 and went to Thebes. And at Thebes, there's a temple there. And at that temple, there's another authored uh, uh, tablet series by Thoth that's buried there. And still today, they haven't found it, but people are always putting in requests to the government. You have to put a request into the government to start digging in that area. People are digging right now while I'm talking to you, people are <laughs> looking for those tablets right this second. Okay, wow. still. And they're looking and looking and looking. They're probably about close to, who knows, quarter of a mile down, but they're still digging over there right now, looking for those lost tablets. Uh, do you think they'll find them? <laughs> I think they will. I mean, they found quite a book. The Book of Thoth has been discovered. These Emerald Tablets, uh, the Emerald Tablet of Hermes. Uh, you know, there's so many of them that he authored. Mm. Uh, I think eventually, at some point, somebody's going to find them. Did didn't he write it in the Atlantean language? Yeah, he wrote it in Atlantean, uh, sort of like almost uh, very similar to something called runes. R u n e s. Mm -hmm. type of writing style very very similar to that so the doriel the, 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 oh my god doriel doriel so yeah. he was able to translate the atlantean language is that basically how yes. wow. able to translate because if you can translate runes you can translate atlantean ironically the same writing style was discovered on this giant crystal uh that's uh, in a tunnel at the pyramid of the sun in bosnia and uh, so that was translated by us in modern times, the same exact style writing. And that, um, that writing said that uh, they were, they were going to have to stand in battle until they could open the gate. They were talking about the Stargate at the Pyramid of the Sun in Bosnia. So uh, the same exact writing is the K2 Megalith is the name of that giant crystal with this writing on it. The same exact writing from the Emerald Tablets. Wow. Yeah. Do you think these pyramids are these stargates basically some of them are stargates some of the all the pyramids are multifunctional stone computers with different functionality the pyramid of the sun in bosnia the great pyramid at giza and the um the pyramid of the sun at teotihuacan in my opinion all were three things power generators for wireless electricity they were um portal generators for stargates or some type of portal travel mm. and uh also potentially uh, they had the capability of sending communications uh, out into space through the hydrogen frequency. And what do you, what do you think happened? Like, wh why aren't we still using this? Like, what do you think went on? <laughs> well, there was a period. Yeah, it was a good question. There was a pyramid <laughs> war about six, close to six thousand years ago. Now, uh, the last pyramid war, which happened with Amen Ra, also known as Marduk. His name is actually in the modern day Bible. His name is in the Jewish Torah. His name is in the Enuma Elish and the seven tablets of creation date, predating all that thousands of years. Mm -hmm. Marduk is also known as Amun-Ra. <clears throat> so he ordered Akhenaten 
to start going around and defacing all of the other gods. That's why if you go to Egypt, everywhere you go, you see the noses broken off, you see the faces chipped off everywhere in all the temples. That wasn't done because white people didn't want black people to know that black people existed in Egypt. That's, that's not accurate. What happened was Amun-Ra told Pharaoh Akhenaten to start erasing all the history of all the glyphs everywhere and usher the world into a monotheistic mindset where he himself was the one and only true God. Uh, and that's what it was all about. So eventually they were like, we got to get rid of this Akhenaten because this guy's erasing everything off of our history. He's chopping up all the glyphs. He's going around and, and defacing everything. Yeah. And uh, so they got Akhenaten out of, out of there and then they killed his son, King Tut. You know, so yes, it's an amazing story. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Um, in your book, um, Thoth speaks of a lot about reincarnation. Do you think he's a human living among us right now? I believe so. I think even that he may have been Yeshua, the modern day, and we call him Jesus in the Bible. <clears throat> you know, because um, when you look at uh, the uh, Gospel of the Holy Twelve, which talks about where Jesus went from the age of 12 to 32 when he disappeared from the Bible. Mm. He was in Egypt. So I went to Egypt and I went to Coptic Cairo and I went to the house that he actually lived in. It's a shrine right now. Mm. He lived there with his mom. He left there and he was, well, he attended the Egyptian mysteries there, which were taught by Hermes Trismegistus or Thoth himself, actually. And then he went to, um, to uh, he went to um, Tibet to learn Reiki healing and uh, with his hands and all of that. And Qigong. And then he went to uh, India and, and learned about reincarnation and the mystic arts. Mm -hmm. And he then taught mystic arts and reincarnation and Reiki healing all the way back uh, down before, by the time he got back to his region where he lived. So uh, it's all about reincarnation. His mother was a virgin birth. His grandmother, which a lot of people don't know because they haven't read the Apocrypha text, his grandmother was also a virgin birth. Mm. And I think that Thoth may have, uh, he always talked about creating avatar bodies and, and transferring yeah. his consciousness right. into them. I think he might have tried this time to come in through a womb and transfer himself through an, a human embryo to experience life growing up as an actual human being. That's what I think happened in my personal opinion. Mm -hmm. And he also, uh, he also mentions the Hall of Amenti, like, basically the whole book <laughs> the whole yeah. tablet the whole um or is is the halls of amenti basically below the pyramids like in physical form or is it like in the astrals it's I'm a physical form it's there they found them i talk about it in my book they found these giant halls arched doorways hundreds of arched hallways mm. underneath the great pyramid that extend out one mile underneath the great pyramid of giza and out underneath the whole giza plateau hundreds of rooms that is the location of the halls of amenti and you can actually find the halls of amenti on google earth or you can just type in go to your maps and type in halls of amenti it's even if you go to instagram and make a post and you look at a location type in halls of amenti see exactly where it takes you they uh, know exactly where it's located <laughs> uh, okay i thought it was in the astrals that's that's what i thought that's a real place he would go there and he would actually get into his re rejuvenation chambers and and, and um uh, put one body down, transfer into another body, get up and walk amongst men, but unlike a man. Then he would transfer himself from the halls of Amenti at the Great Pyramid all the way over to Mesoamerica and come out uh, in Tula, Mexico and Cacahuamilpa, Mexico <laughs> at these other pyramids that he owned and ran. And when I went to Mexico to those locations, the indigenous uh, guides that we hired told us the same exact thing. He would disappear from here and appear at the Great Pyramid underneath the Great Pyramid at Giza. Oh wow! Yeah. Okay, I see. Um, I also wanted to ask you. Um, he, I think, in the book, it was also mentioned the Merkaba. Mm -hmm. uh, can you explain that a little bit? A little yeah. bit, because I, what I understand from it, it's basically the sacred geometry of our light body. Mm -hmm. Something like yeah. that. Right? Well, a Merkaba is, or Merkaba, you can say either way, is a counter-rotating star tetrahedron okay this is where the um the star of david comes from the star of david yeah has nothing to do with what a lot of people think. that's yeah right <laughs> it's it's the it's actually the merkaba or the merkaba 
And so it's a counter-rotating star tetrahedron, which is encapsulated by the human Taurus energy field. And so when you go into a Merkaba meditation, which I've taught many times, and I even have a, I even have a, uh, a meditation track playing on iTunes and everything else. It's the 432 Hertz Merkaba meditation track. It's 11 minutes and 11 seconds. And what happens is you, you get into a meditative state where you envision your own Merkaba and you're standing on the outside of it, looking at it. You can see two counter-rotating uh, tetrahedron, which are uh, one pyramid on top and one inverse pyramid on the bottom. And you can step into this Merkaba. It becomes a vehicle of light. So using this vehicle of light and the right frequency, uh, you can actually then travel in this Merkaba in the consciousness platform or through the multidimensional realm in this Merkaba. <clears throat> it's an amazing thing. And so I take people into this Merkaba meditation and when they come out of it, they tell me that they, how amazing it is, how many went all over the place inside of their own Merkaba. It's pretty interesting. So it's the same thing as remote viewing or I'm, is it like, does it help you remote view? Is that? Uh, I use it before the remote viewing sessions or during remote viewing sessions sometimes to clear my mind back out again. But it, it's not the same exact thing as remote viewing in a way. It's, it's kind of got some aspects of it, but you're not recording or writing anything down or bringing back information. You're just experiencing it. Okay. <clears throat> yeah. So, okay. So it's like remote viewing, but you're more there. Basically. Yeah. You're more there. You're in, you're enjoying the view, but it could be multidimensional. Some people told me they came out underneath an ocean. Some people were in space. Some people were tops of mountains. You know, it just, it's just very random based on the one person's uh, per perception and, and their emotional set and what's going on with them and where they, where their mind takes it. You know, you can't really control it to degree in some weird kind of ways unless you become a real master. And so they're not astral projecting either. It's just the consciousness, not the soul of the spirit. Right. Not the soul of the spirit. It's just the consciousness. Okay. But you believe that the Merkaba also exists in astral form as well? Yeah. Now the true masters can actually go into a Merkaba and actually disappear, go from planet to planet, place to place and appear in another location. Mm -hmm. There's levels to how you can achieve it. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, what was I going to ask you next? Uh, oh yeah. So, okay. Moving, moving on, um, from this, I, uh, wanted to ask you, I saw a video, you were talking about the capability to transfer consciousness into a clone through using our DNA, like a skin cell, but have we ever created full body clones already? Well, I'm pretty sure that they have already created full body clones. We've done, I remember when Dolly the lamb was a, was a clone, you know, and this was probably 20 years ago. Uh, so with so many black budget projects going on in the militaries around the world, so many top secret experiments that go on, I'm fairly convinced in my mind that they have fully cloned human beings uh, out there, maybe even chimeras, which are humans mixed with other animals' DNAs as well, trying to perfect and create the perfect soldier with all these innate abilities that animals have, but at the same time still being a controllable human. Yeah. Uh, I believe that chimeras even exist as well. Do you think that these clones, do you think they have a, a soul or a spirit? Or do you think they're, they don't have a soul or spirit? That's a great question. Now, I think that uh, once you create a being that has enough connections going on on the inside of the mind mm -hmm. to create this encapsulating type of a conscious energy field, I believe that it can download a stream of consciousness. I think that consciousness is always streaming 24-7 everywhere at all times. Mm. And it's only when you pick up the frequency that you become completely, truly conscious. And I believe that if they have the capability of cloning somebody, that the brain, once the brain fully ignites, that it has the capability of downloading the stream. Because if they put everything in the brain that should be there, the, the um, uh, which would be the neural correlates of consciousness, which are three giant neurons that wrap around the skull, like three giant, um, uh, looks like a crown of thorns, okay, three giant thorn uh, things that were going around the head. That's what it looks like when you actually do a CAT scan. Okay. Kind of ironic that Jesus yeah. had a crown of thorns. Right. And then also you have the magnetite crystal in the brain. Uh, right, and, right, right. 
and then you have the neocortex. So when all those three things fire up at the same time, they have the ability to download a stream of consciousness on a frequency and encapsulate it into the avatar on a temporal time frame. So I believe that if they do clone the right way, and it's a real true clone, identical clone of an actual person, that enough of that will work to encapsulate a frequency of consciousness, making that entity or that being truly conscious and sentient. So you think if someone's like about to pass away, some they could just transfer their consciousness into that into that clone? I think it's possible. I think that you can even override somebody else's brain based on research I've done now. And I covered this in my uh, workshop. I just did a couple well last week, Saturday. The fact that they were uh, a person from the military industrial complex was uh, doing a workshop of his own to a, a, a private uh, military group, pri private uh, armory and talking about some of the different types of consciousness weapons that they've developed. Mm. And one of them is, uh, is, is overriding people's brains, putting information into their mind, even remote controlling a person from a distance and even mind to mind connections where one person sees something on the screen on from a video game and the other person's hand move to run the controller. Mm, wow. It's all real stuff that happens right now today that that's been declassified. Right. So I, I'm guessing you're not going to get Neuralink. <laughs> uh, probably not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me either. <laughs> I don't want to be remote controlled. I don't want anybody tapping in and, you know, put with me, put me on a joystick and send me out to do some crazy stuff. Because I think that's what a lot of these class shootings are and then these church shootings and all this stuff. I think these are remote controlled people. Right. And uh, I even read about in Dr. Joe Dispenza's book about they were talking about hypnosis and how people are being they were just able to get hypnotized, basically. Yeah. They hypnotize you. Then all of a sudden you get a triggered keyword, a key phrase exactly. yeah. at a certain time and you activate and you don't even know what you're doing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, that just reminds me of Dolores Cannon. Do you know any of her? Oh, famous author. Yes. Phenomenal author. Yeah. 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 Have you ever received anything like that, like hypnosis, where you were able to like know anything about your higher self or like your past lives or anything like that from hypnosis? Not through hypnosis. No, only through my own meditation. I discovered that I had past lives that I had been not only here before, but I was actually I died here. Which ironic is in the one of my past life where I died here, I died in both places and both places were by war. And on Earth, when I died, which was my last time that I was here, I actually was stabbed through the heart with a gigantic um, spear. Uh, if, uh, it was like a, uh, an arm spear with a, with, a, with a steel iron tip on the front. Yeah. It went through my heart. Now, when I was born now, I was born with a heart murmur, a huge heart oh, my in my heart. And I still have it. It's sealed up some. It's almost closed, but it's still there. Wow. It was, it was born with a hole in my heart. That's insane. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> um, what are do you have any top favorite books of all time? Um, my favorite book of all time, I would say, was probably be um, "The Gods of Eden" by William Bramley. Um, also, I would say um, Seventh Planet Mercury Rising" by Gerald Clark. Mm. Amazing content, amazing book. It's about both the Atlantean, but he goes deep in it. Um, and uh, The Illusion of Us by Matthew LaCroix. Okay. I haven't read any of those. I'll have to definitely check those out. <laughs> yeah. yeah, good books, man. Good stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um, some, some final questions here. Uh, I want to ask you, though, do you think you'll ever astral project, though, again? Do you think? <laughs> it's possible. I don't rule. I never rule anything out, you know? There may be a time where I feel I truly am ready to be the master. Um, and, you know, because when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. When the teacher is ready, then the master will appear. There's levels to everything. Mm -hmm. uh, when I get to that point, I may try to experiment with it some more in the future. At this point, um, I'm just focused on what I'm doing, but there is a, a chance that I could try it out. I, I don't rule anything out. Right. Yeah. And um, is there anything that you're most excited about right now? Right now, I'm, I'm just most excited about the the um, the level of consciousness that I see getting raised globally on this planet. Yes, there's a lot of turmoil. Yes, there's a lot of crazy things happening here and there and police brutality and people doing all kinds of crazy stuff in politics and everything else. But 
overall, overall, we have, I have seen an enormous growth from 1970s all the way till today, 2021, yeah. in the amount of consciousness uh, level increasing around the planet in people and getting better and better every single day. More people beginning this process of waking up and not just waking up, but becoming their own researchers and questioning their reality. And that makes me excited. Yeah, um, we entered the age of Aquarius, right? That's right. It's here, man. We're just about to enter it. And we're, it's going to be expanding minds so far. We're really, truly going to help usher in a new golden age into existence. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Do you study astrology at all? I'm not really a big astrology uh, study person, although I do believe it. And I believe the science behind it. That's why I believe it. I believe that gravitational fields. Right. And alignments have a direct effect on your consciousness and your DNA. Even when you're being born, if you're in the gestation period mm. under a specific star alignment, because all those gravitational fields have a different effect individually on every person's DNA during that process uh, when you're going through mitosis. So I believe that it's actually real. Right. Yeah, it's absolutely. And is there anything else that you want the audience to know or to check out from you? I'd like you guys to please visit ForbiddenKnowledge.tv, ForbiddenKnowledge.tv. It's my own streaming TV platform. It's on Apple TV, Roku, Amazon Fire TV, and of course, iOS and Android apps. You can log in and get a free three-day trial. Uh, go in there and access all of my content. There's thousands of shows up there, great shows, everything from yoga, meditation, cooking, consciousness, um, spirituality, Egyptian mystery schools, documentaries, just a lot of great content and information there. Check it out. You know, again, three day free trial. And on the 31st of January this month, 2021, I'll be doing a five hour workshop at 4 p.m. You can go on Eventbrite. It's the evidence of lost Atlantis and the Anunnaki. And I'm going to take every one of you to Mars with me in real time. We're going to look for space anomalies on Mars. Incredible. And let's not forget, didn't you just release a new book? Oh, yeah. New book. Woke <laughs> doesn't mean broke. I came up with this book because a lot of people are scoffing at or pocket watching people that are conscious, but at the same time are very well off financially. And uh, they actually pick on them, make fun of them, including myself. I've been wealthy That's long right. before Facebook, Instagram, you know, TikTok and all this stuff even existed. Uh, because I was fortunate enough to be able to start some companies at a very early age. And so um, there's a preconceived conception or idea that you can't be financially independent and be conscious. So I overcome that. I debunk that. And I show people how spirituality actually helps you manifest abundance 24-7. And I teach them how to combine those two and understand the financial matrix that we're living in so they can manifest abundance for themselves and their family. Right. And um, so wait, what were those uh, early companies that you created when you were younger? I started a company, an, elect an electronics company when I was 12, <laughs> this back in the 1980s. Um, I discovered that well, I was always a future thinker and I was sitting in one of my friend's cars and his, his, his dad's car. We were sitting there just playing with the radio and he had the old analog dial back then. You just tune it when you see a little dial going across. And I had saved my money for my paper route and I had a calculator watch with a little black digital readout. And I looked at the radio in the car and I looked at my watch. I looked at the radio. I said to my friend, this, which is a digital readout, is going to be on that. That's the next thing that's going to happen. A week later, I go to the grocery store for my mom, Winn-Dixie, and in the magazine aisle, which I always went to, they had this book called The Opportunity Magazine. And I took it off the shelf. I opened it. And I opened it right to this page with a company called Galaxy Electronics, which is still in business today. New York City, they're located. And they had digital readout car radios wholesale. So I took the money I had saved from my newspaper route and I started buying these digital car radios and selling them to kids in high school and stuff like that in college. And the word got around that I could beat anybody's price and people started coming from the Tri-County area to swap out and buy these digital car radios. And the business got so big, I started selling EQ boosters, amps, subwoofers, six by nines and all this. Wow. And I had a booming electronics company. By the time I was 13, I was making more money than my parents. Oh my God. <laughs> oh my God. You were a born entrepreneur. 
Yeah, I was born to do it, man. I, I My first entrepreneurial experience was when I was uh, seven. We were living in Opelika, which is a very poor neighborhood. I mean, extremely poor. We didn't have any food. I would eat Cairo syrup, which is this clear syrup, and toast. That used, oh, used to be my meal. Geez. And my, I was so, my friends would go outside and go to the ice cream truck. And I was like, how broke are we that we can't even go to the ice cream truck? And they're going to the ice cream truck. We're in the same neighborhood. We're all poor. Yeah. So I went in the house and I took all my toys and put them in this crate, this milk crate. And I went door to door selling my toys, five cents, 10 cents, a dollar, any level of donation, door to door till I sold all my toys. And I took <laughs> that money and then I had money for the ice cream truck for, I just wanted bazooka gum with the, with the, uh, yeah, yeah. With, the with the comic strip inside, you know? Yeah. And uh, and I realized, I said, oh, wow, if I want to get out of situations that are not favorable for me, I have to save myself. I am my own savior. That's when I, it dawned on me. And from that point forward, I realized I needed, you know, selling things can put money in your pocket, you know? Yeah, that's an, that's absolutely incredible. What a young age to get on that journey for entrepreneurship. <laughs> Yeah. Any any uh, final ad, any advice that you would um, give to the audience? I would just tell everybody, listen, despite what's going on on the outside, was despite what you see on the news and all these other things, focus on showing unconditional love to every person on this planet. Because when you realize that every single person is just another aspect of you, like the Mayans used to say, in la kek a la kin, I am another you. Every person that you're dealing with, every person that you interact with, is another version of you so treat them with dignity respect honor just as you would do yourself that will become a positive virus that will spread around the planet like wildfire and ignite everybody's consciousness that's what we need to focus yeah. on right beautiful well said amazing thank you. well thank you so much i truly appreciate you being on the podcast thank hey, you so thank much. you man Amazing. You're, you're a legend in my eyes, man. Y'all really. Oh, man. <laughs> man. I appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me on here. I appreciate it. Absolutely. All right. Well, thank you so much. Great to speak with you. I hope you have a nice rest of your day. Yes, you too. All right. Well, thank you so much. All right, man.